This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here along with you. Well, every year more than 3 million reports of child abuse are made in the United States involving more than 6 million children. And we have one of the worst records among industrialized nations, losing an average of between 4 and 7 children every day to child abuse and neglect. Well, here with more about this problem and its somewhat hidden epidemic is Dr. Ann Botash. She's a professor of pediatrics at Upstate Medical University, the medical director of the McMahon-Ryan Child Advocacy Center, and the co-director of the Child Abuse Referral and Evaluation Program at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Ann. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So child abuse remains a big problem in this country. Explain that. Tell us what's going on. Well, I think if you look at the history of what we know about child abuse, people really ignored the problem for many, many years. And until about the 1960s, it became um, on people's radar as far as being an issue. And even in the medical field, and that's you know where I understand the history from, people started to notice that there were children who had this constellation of, say, for example, fractures, and that, you know, the whole idea of a battered child, and it became the battered child syndrome, and then a constellation of symptoms that fit together, and people started calling it a syndrome, the shaken baby syndrome. And it's not really a syndrome. It's really just the kinds of injuries that you might get from being struck or hit or shaken or whatever the mechanism of trauma is. It's all trauma. And then at the same time, there was also this kind of rise in interest in all the other types of abuse. And uh, we developed a system in the United States of Child Protective Services. And I think the people that developed the idea really didn't have any idea of how common this problem is. Or the magnitude. Right. And, And we, I think, are struggling to this day with trying to have a system that can accommodate all the children that we are seeing that are physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused, um, you know, and in, within those categories, uh, other categories of burns and corporal punishment, excessive corporal punishment, those sorts of things. So when we, just to kind of characterize this, when we talk about child abuse, help us understand what we mean. I mean, are we only talking about broken bones? I mean, what are the kinds of things we're, we're, we're actually seeing in child abuse? You've alluded to a couple. You said emotional, you said physical, you said sexual. Yeah, so it's kind of a, a false classification to try to separate out emotional abuse from, say, physical or sexual abuse or neglect. Because emotional abuse is really part of all of those. It's definitely a it, ramification of all of them. Right. You could you could be emotionally abused and not have any of those other symptoms. You might not have a fracture. You might not have been sexually abused. But you could still be in a situation where your mental health is affected by um, a parent or uh, someone who's, you know, in Constantly a position. Constantly belittling you, shaming you. Right. Who's in a position of power that can intimidate you in some way. And so that would be emotional abuse, and and there's lots and lots of subcategories within that. Um, Physical abuse and uh, sexual abuse, uh, there's a little bit, I think, more knowledge out there about, especially with physical abuse, because kids tend to have outward signs of physical abuse. And if there's a fracture or a bruise or... Or a burn. Or a burn or... or, really uh, any kind of injury could be from physical abuse. So it's a little bit easier to define it, to say anything that leaves a mark on a child could be considered physical abuse. And I think 
you know, sure, you could leave a mark and not um, mean to physically abuse your child. Well, then that's an accident, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very different. fine line. It's a very fine line. It's a fine line, but help us understand that, you know, you, you alluded to corporal punishment, and we've actually done a recent interview um, with one of your colleagues on that whole notion. What, how do you see the distinction between physical abuse and discipline? I mean, in your mind, um, is, are there certain characteristics, whether it be the unpredictability of it or the fact that it's kind of out of uncontrolled on the part of the abuser? I mean, yeah, I, th I think, again, it's a gray, a little bit of a gray area. And what we, the way that I think about it, and that's probably the easiest way to explain it, is really related to intent. So if you're attempting to um, change behavior in your child and, you know, you think about it, you're going to try to use some effective method to discipline the child. And what we know in the, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends is that it not be hitting, that hitting actually um, can escalate and lead to physical abuse and teach aggression. So right, and it teaches the wrong lesson. So if if we think about it that way, what are we trying to teach a child? Then it's not physical abuse. Physical abuse happens more when people um, actually many times intend to cause harm because they're trying to teach the child in the wrong way, or or they're really losing their temper and they're really um, not even thinking at all. So in other words, it's, it's kind of unpredictable and maybe intimidating and using their power to really kind of overwhelm a child. And that, that's been my experience, that that's the kind of injuries that we see from physical abuse are related to a parent or, or maybe not a parent, but a caregiver in some way losing it and overwhelming the child with their strength. Using fear to control behavior, in other words. Fear fear is a big part of it. Fear is a big part of emotional abuse. Fear is a big part of sexual abuse as well. It's it's what keeps children silent. They're afraid. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with pediatrician and child abuse uh, specialist, Dr. Ann Botash. We're talking about child abuse. So let's get to sexual abuse. What That can be hidden, in a sense, because you don't have the physical signs and symptoms that you might have. Um, what is the problem, as you, as you alluded to, in terms of this whole notion of child abuse, uh, sexual abuse, in terms of this idea of reporting? There's, you know, well, so most kids um, that are sexually abused that we see, um, it, it depends on the age, again. You know, everything depends on age in pediatrics. But some of the younger kids are really threatened by their perpetrator for sexual of sexual abuse, and so they don't want to tell what happened I mean, to them. mean they're being threatened, verbally they're being, being threatened. They're being threatened. They're being told, if you tell, I'm going to either hurt you or hurt your mom or hurt your siblings, or in some way they're being threatened. And so that prevents the disclosure. There are also situations, though, where um, they actually, kids may not understand that it's something wrong that's happening to them. They may see it as a game that they're playing with whoever the older person is involved and they may see it as um fun and pleasurable because they they're not associating it with something bad until they tell someone and then when they tell someone and we say oh 
<laughs> what happened? You know, or how did that happen? Or who were you with? Then they realize, wait a minute, maybe I wasn't supposed to tell. So there's, you know, kind of the different variations. And then you get to the teenagers who are afraid to tell because they are afraid they did something wrong or they're embarrassed by what happened, a date rape. They, they may feel that they can't tell someone because they can't believe it themselves, you know, what happened. Or that in some way they may have contributed to it. Right. And I think that the contribution that they have is often in their head, you know, that they think they did something to, to cause this, and, and they didn't. It's still a misuse of power, even in, in teenage relationships. So what are some of the effects, the overall effects of any of these kinds of abuse? You alluded to the fact that there's an emotional component to all of them. What do you see in these children? Well, and, and we didn't talk about neglect, but oh, neglect yes. is another category yes. and, and where you do see that emotional overlay. And, and I think both, not both, but with all of the types of abuse, the, what happens to a child is that they begin to perceive themselves as uh, not being worthy, that they lose self-esteem, that they, they feel they're um, in some way responsible, but also that it's their fault um, because they're not a good person. And that's what a lot of what we see. And, and it, I think it's the most, um, it's the most stressful for me in terms of trying to help someone because I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And so I'm doing an exam and trying to help people to feel better physically. But a lot of that physical piece is already healed. And now what's left is the, the mental piece. They, children really need the support of loving parents, you know, hopefully not the people that are involved in the abuse, but parents that are going to listen to them when they need to be listened to, give them the support they need, keep them from danger in the future, and, and not blame them for what happened. So actually that what, what also is, is a lack of trust or even being able to establish trusting relationships or difficulties in relationships could be a, a, a follow-up to that. I think that that's particularly true for physical abuse and sexual abuse. If, if a for example, a parent is the person who's the abuser. The from the child's perspective, they see this parent as being good and bad. They love this parent, but they also have to figure out and understand how this parent could do something that hurt them. And many times their thought processes for figuring that out makes them um, more confused and, and more anxious and less trustful of other people. And going along with this whole idea of sexual abuse, as you alluded to, quite often it's not a stranger who's engaged in this behavior. It's often someone that they already knew. Either it could be a parent or a close, very close relative. And that has to have some very powerful effects on relationship or trust. I, I think that, you know, having been working in this field for almost 30 years now, I think that this is, you know, the root of a lot of the problems we have you know, in terms of the world, honestly, if you don't develop good relationships, good, strong family relationships from the very beginning of your life, your interpersonal relationships for the rest of your life suffer from from that. And it's very hard um, to, to fix that later in life. And that's why I think it's really important as a pediatrician to try to intervene early to, to provide these children with what they what they need in terms of support so that they have an adult that they can trust. Trust is so important to any relationship and if you miss that, you know, that ability to do that, it's hard to ever get it back. So following up on that, as a pediatrician, give me some very quick, I don't want to run out of time, but give me some quick tips of what the warning signs of any of this kind of abuse would be. How would you, what would you look for if you suspected or what would you be seeing if you 
suspected emotional abuse, physical abuse, neglect, or sexual abuse? What are some of the things so, you... So neglect is a, a big category all by itself, and it actually uh, affects m the most children. We When we look at abuse, neglect is the biggest category. Um, and so to recognize neglect could be a category of educational neglect or, or nutritional neglect, and, and it's, it's more specific for, you know, looking, or medical neglect, you know, so there's something that you're looking for to, in, in order to call it neglect. For emotional abuse, um, I think it's hard to recognize um, what you might see, but emotional abuse actually is, um, is bullying in many ways, and so some of the things that you look for in a child that might be bullied are the same things that you would look for with emotional abuse. So this might be a child who's you know, overly shy and introverted. This might be a child who's fearful. This might be a child who is, you know, unable to perform well in social situations or even in school academically because they're afraid. Sexual abuse, the behaviors can be, um, no, no behaviors whatsoever. I mean, child can be sexually abused and you may not see any symptoms at all, or you may see a child who's got nighttime awakening, child who previously was potty trained, maybe is wetting the bed. You may see uh, a child who suddenly changes behavior, becomes more withdrawn, or becomes uh, sexually acting out. So sexual abuse, again, has its own. And then physical abuse um, can be any combination <laughs> of all of those factors, and it depends how significant... Um, you know, they're injured or hurt. So the little bit of time we have left, you had some tips in terms of what to do. What can people do besides well, recognizing the signs? Well, I think um, I liked the darkness. I like the darkness to light five steps. And I, I like to, I am looking at them in terms of applying those, not just to sexual abuse, but in terms of physical abuse and recognition and protecting children, preventing further abuse. So their five steps are, Learn the facts. So, you know, that's an awareness. That's what we're doing right here today. We're making sure people understand that this is a common problem. And then, you know, the next minimize opportunity. If you are have any sort of instinct as a parent or a caregiver of a child that this person might not be the right person to leave your child with, go with that. That You don't need any more than that. It's really something that's related to trust. It's an instinct. Um, the third is to talk about abuse with your children. Talk about bullying with your children. Talk about sexual abuse with your children. Use the right words. Try to make it so that they feel comfortable coming to you if something does happen. Then recognizing the signs, which we talked about a minute ago. What are the signs? You know, what could be the signs? They're sometimes very subtle. Sometimes they're just related to a drop in grades at school. So, you know, when things like that happen, it's not always drugs. <laughs> you know, it can be some other reason, and it may be something happening at school, on the school bus, um, with friends next door, or even in your own home um, with um somebody that's related to you and then react responsibly and I think this is key this is something that um, we don't teach people to do very well but when a child comes to you and tells you that something is happening try not to get too you know excited about it that you shut off the flow of information you need to listen and you need to to respond in a way that doesn't make them more fear fearful and that that is going to I think be the most difficult part for many people I want to thank you so much. We've run out of time, but that is an incredible overview of this entire problem, and clearly it is a problem in this country. So hopefully some of your advice 
will filter down and people will at least know how to begin to recognize this and do something about it. Thank you so very much. My Thank guest you. has been Dr. Ann Botash, Professor of Pediatrics at Upstate Medical University, the Medical Director of McMahon Ryan Child Advocacy Center, and the Director of the Child Abuse Referral and Evaluation Program also at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. <laughs>